Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Romans 5.12, and here's what it says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. How do you view the world around you? Does the world feel messed up at times? How messed up does the world feel to you? Really, when we ask that question this morning, is life as messed up as it seems to be? We're asking what your worldview is about sin. Do you live in a little sin world? Or maybe a no-sin world? Or do you live in a big sin world where, where things are just really, really tough because of the way this world has been so infected by this spiritual issue called sin? What's your worldview when it comes to sin? Is life really as messed up as it seems? You see, here's why it's so important to answer that question. And, and in fact, this whole series has really dealt with this. If we have a faulty worldview about sin, about creation like we learned last week, or about any of the other issues that we've talked about during this series, what that does is it, it literally creates friction in our lives. It, it's going through life essentially pulling all your stuff behind you, not on a set of wheels, but on a sledge. You're dragging stuff because your worldview is out of sync with the true worldview that God has. Instead of swimming through life, like swimming in this beautiful, pristine swimming pool, like the ones we're all getting ready to swim in this summer, like Christy just said, we're wading through a swamp constantly being tripped up by, by vines and stumps and things underneath the water that we can't see because our worldview doesn't match up with truth. And so that's why I'm loving this series so much, because as we get our own worldview more and more in line with God's worldview, it makes this life have less drag on it. And, and here's why that's important. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about fear. And how if we go through life in fear, we're really not believing that we have a good and kind God that wants to take care of us. The same God that created everything is the same God that's preserving us day by day. There's another problem, a spiritual problem, that we have to face apart from fear. And that's a, that's a problem that I think is very common in our world today. It's a, it's a problem of disappointment and discouragement. And I think a lot of our disappointment and discouragement with life comes about today because we're experiencing that constant drag that I was just talking about. We're wading through that swamp, constantly bumping into obstacles. It's like you, you come home in the dark, and you don't realize that someone has rearranged the living room while you were gone. And there are all those obstacles, pieces of furniture put in new places, and, and the roadmap of how to navigate through your living room that you have in your brain is not the roadmap that represents the new truth. 
And so that's why it's so important for us to adjust our worldview and to answer this question about what kind of world do you live in. Do you live in a big sin world, a little sin world, or a no sin world? I think one of the things that's so important for us as we, as we cope with disappointment and discouragement is something that we prayed about earlier this morning. It's about being real. One of the ways that we often cope with disappointment and discouragement is to put the blinders on. If I don't want to believe that the world is as messed up as it sometimes seems, it is easy for me to get into denial about that, to bury my head in the sand, to wear the rose-colored glasses. I don't know about you, but I will tell you that I'm, I'm kind of a natural optimist. People who know me know that I like to see the bright side of the picture. I like to believe the best about people. I have friends who call me Pollyanna. And, and I, uh, I believe that there is a positive because we have a big God who is a powerful God and a kind God, just like Pastor Matt taught us last week. But you know what? Over life, I've had to learn to adjust my optimism just a little bit and to be real about life. I remember when I first went to Africa, I, I truly didn't think that thieves would steal all the stuff that thieves would steal. And I also truly, in my kind of blind optimism, wearing my rose-colored glasses, didn't believe that they could get things quite as fast as what they can get. And so we would park somewhere downtown Lusaka, and I would go, ah, that cooler, nobody's going to want that thing. And I'd leave it sitting in the back of my pickup truck. I'd come back a minute later, two minutes later, boom, it was gone. Amazing how many times with my rose-colored glasses, I could tell myself, you know what? The thieves won't steal it this time. They don't have time to take this. I'll just run in real quickly. I'll get back. Nothing will be missing. After what seemed like dozens of my items going missing, I finally learned I had to temper my optimism a little bit with some reality. I had a friend this week. Pastor Scott, he was uh, in his uh, office, shared this story with me. He said he noticed somebody through the window of his office drive up, and he, he really didn't think anything of it when they parked next to his car in the parking lot over at his church in Ahwatukee. And, uh, and then after a little while, he was working, so he wasn't really thinking too much about it. He looked up, and the, the car was still parked up, out there, but no one had come in. And so he, um, he, he took a little bit closer look, and he, he noticed that that other car was parked awfully close to his car. But again, he was telling himself, he was wearing the rose-colored glasses. He said, it's nothing. They'll come in in a minute. And then all of a sudden, in the back of his mind, as he's working, probably pre- preparing his sermon for the week, he, he hears this humming noise, just a, a, a little hum. What is that noise? And so this time he gets up from his desk. He doesn't just peek out the window. He opens the door and he goes out there. And he notices that there is a hose running from his gas tank to the other truck's gas tank. The guy was out there siphoning gas from his car. But he didn't want to believe. You ever 
you ever feel that way? Where you go, is life really as messed up as it seems? And you go, nah, it can't be that bad. I'm, I'm being too negative. And you argue yourself out of believing that, that life can be so bad. You know, the sin of this world and the evil of this world and the stuff that happens in this world is sort of insidious. It sneaks up on you. And I realized that this morning. I, I, um, I went past... Uh, one of the gas stations. Have you noticed how gas prices have kind of snuck upward and upward and upward? Well, I read a, I read a story that, that Tiger Woods is um, sponsoring a golf tournament, and he actually got Chevron to be the, the chief sponsor of this golf tournament, and they're going to pay the highest prize, $5 million or a tank of gas, whichever you choose. That's how stuff sneaks up on you. Because as evil progresses, all of a sudden you can find yourself in a world where, where things are hitting you that you didn't expect. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of how bad that can get. Um, this week, I had one of my staff members call me. And she knew what this sermon was going to be about. And she said, did you hear this? I'm, I'm sitting on my couch right now, just stunned. And I, I'll compliment her for this. She actually took the blinders off. She, did, she wasn't wearing the rose-colored glasses. She was sitting there really thinking about what does this mean, that this is happening in our world. And you know what she had just heard? She had just heard on the news that a man had literally taken his video game controller, did you hear this story? And beaten his small infant child to death with it. Now that's harsh. Is life really as messed up as it seems? You see, a lot of times when we hear stuff like that, our first inclination is not to do what my staff member did, to sit there on the couch and ponder its meaning. Our first inclination is to go, na 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 uh-uh, don't want to hear that. That's too ugly. It's too evil. I want to put the rose-colored glasses on. I want to put the blinders on. I want to put my head in the sand. And I don't want to believe that the world can truly be that bad. We drive through our Phoenix neighborhoods, some of them neighborhoods that we live in the midst of, and we don't look to the left or the right because we don't want to see the poverty that's really there and the hurt and the pain that's really there. People who live next door to us are having their homes foreclosed on, and we don't want to talk to them because we're going to have to deal with their issues, and we have enough issues of our own. Let's put the blinders on. Let's put our heads in the sand. Things are happening all around us. You can read about them in the newspaper. We can say, ugh, I just can't deal with this anymore. And then here comes the most insidious part of evil. And that is the evil that's right within our own hearts. The evil that says, you know what? You are part of the problem. I am part of the problem. I'm contributing to this mess by the actions I take, by the words I speak, 
by even, as Jesus says, the thoughts that I think I, because of my sin, am contributing to this mess. It's not just those people out there. It's also me. And you know what I so appreciate about the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans? He does not bury his head in the sand. He does not put on the rose-colored glasses. And he did not let that Roman congregation do that either. He looked them straight in the eye and he said, the world has a huge problem. Is the world as messed up as it seems? You bet it is and more. And now look again at that passage that we read. Romans 5.12. Do you see what it says? Just as sin entered the world through one man, we know who that is, Adam, and death came through sin. Sin and death came into this world. And in this way, death came to all men, all mankind, not all males, all mankind, because all sinned. Not one person left out. The entire world bathed in rejection and rebellion of God. And because of that, death follows. Death follows. We'll talk about what that means. Let's, before we do that, though, talk about five ways we put the blinders on. I want to talk about rationalizing. Rationalizing is when we have every reason in the book for doing what we did. We, we, we take our sin and we say, yeah, I know I did something wrong there, but I had to do that because. You justify your decisions. You'd rather talk about your successes than your failures. As a result, it's tough for you to have a conversation with yourself, and even more, it's tough for anyone else to have a conversation with you about what's wrong in your life because you always have a reason for what you're doing. Rationalizing. When we don't rationalize, we minimize. We downplay sin or circumstances in our life. We say, well, that's normal. That's what everybody does. That's, or that's not as bad as, you know, what he did, what she did. We constantly downplay the things that we do. We mask. And there's really two ways that we mask. Just like when you wear a real mask over your face. You're, you're hiding. You're hiding your true self. And that means that you don't want anybody to see your shame. So you put that mask on. Pastor Matt talked about it last week. Your church face. And so you walk around. Maybe you don't just wear your church face at church. Maybe you wear your church face everywhere you go. When you're not out of the house. And you just keep that on so that you don't have to let anybody know the things that you're ashamed of. The other thing that we do is we pretend. That's another part of masking. That's where you want to have that, that sort of persona. It's not the real you. It's not the authentic you. It's not the raw you. It's the you you want everybody else to see. The best possible you. But it's not the real you. The next thing we do is we block Blocking is, is um, when we find distractions. Talked about that. Okay, I don't want to really think about how, how sinful I am. I, I certainly don't want to think about how bad the world around me is. 
So I'll sit in front of the tube and watch a football game, the baseball game. The basketball playoffs are coming on. I'll get in front of there, I'll grab a beer, I'll grab some popcorn, and I'll sit there, and that way I don't have to think about how evil my world is. I'll block it out. And the final thing we do is we point. Right? We rationalize, we minimize, we mask, we block, and we point. You see, the reason I did that is because of you. Just like Adam did, right? Lord, I wouldn't have done this except the woman you gave me. She, she made me do this. And we find it easy to downplay our own evil by shifting the blame to someone else. Rationalize, minimize, mask, block, point. These are all ways to put on the rose-colored glasses. And it can happen in so many areas of our life. I was interested to notice that I was reading Dave Ramsey's book about money management, Total Money Makeover. The second whole chapter of his book, the second chapter before he gets into how to manage your money, what are the skills, it's an attitude thing. And he says, you know what is the chief attitude that causes us to sinfully handle our money and to not deal with it? We're in denial. So this whole deal of not being authentic and true and raw and real, it plays into every area of your life. Now take a look at what Paul said. Was he authentic? Was he true? Was he raw? Was he real? Pull out your crosswalk notes. I want you to read this with me. Because I think we all need to hear what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 1. Read this aloud with me. Romans 1, 28 to 32. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I want you to underline that last phrase, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, who's Paul talking about here? Is he talking about some Philistine group that is, is just, you know, out there? These people, you know, is he, is he talking about people living in Vegas? New York City? Talking about people living in, in Europe? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's saying, this is our problem. When he's saying they... It's talking about people, all people, everywhere, because we're caught up in sin. And that's what's real, and that's what's raw. And so this morning, as we answer the question, is life really as messed up as it seems? The very first thing that, that Paul is encouraging us to do is take off the rose-colored glasses.
Stop burying your head in the sand. Take off the blinders. Get those rose-colored glasses out of the way so you can see what's really true. That's not the end of it. In fact, even though many people will say getting out of denial is 90% of the solution to your problems, I'm not sure I would put it quite that high. I think it's a very important first step to take off those rose-colored glasses. Don't get me wrong, that is huge. But now there's a very big step that follows that. You know what that step is? You have to get down. You have to drill down and find out what is the root If we're going to say, if we're going to maintain that we live in a big sin world, not a little sin world, and that's what the Bible is telling us, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is the root of all this evil that we see going on in the world? Why did that guy take that video game controller and do what he did with it? Why is it that we can hear things that are going on with our neighbors and block it out? Why is that? What is the root of the issue? Many times today people will say the root or the problem behind, the big problem behind the problem are societal issues. You've probably heard this. If you read the newspaper, if you read magazines, you look on the the daily news, you'll hear this again and again and again. It's societal pressures and issues that are the root of the problem. And you know what kinds of things are going to be talking about, don't you? Poverty. If we could just have less poverty in the world, if we, could have a, if we could spread the wealth around, we could get rid of a lot of these issues. Disease. You know, if we could wipe out AIDS and HIV, if we could get rid of cancer, a lot of the pain and suffering in the world would go away. Our world would be so much better. That's the argument. Environment and global warming. That's the big recent one, isn't it? If we could clean up our environment, if we could get rid of the pollution, which is causing so many other things, global warming is a huge issue. If we could get that taken care of, we would solve so many other things, they tell us. You know another very modern one, too. Terrorism. There's constant fear being generated, they say, in our world today. Our children don't know what's going to happen when they grow up. And you know, those of us who are a little older, we used to hear that, too, but not about terrorism. Remember how we used to hear it? There's constant fear in the world because of nuclear warfare, the threat of nuclear war. That's why. Whether it's terrorism or nuclear war, is that really the root of our issues and our problems today? Are these societal issues? And the final one is overpopulation. You hear that a lot. We just could stop the growth and population, all this crowding and people bumping up into into each other and getting in each other's face. Things would be so much better. Are those the root issues? Those societal pressures that we're facing? The Bible says no. The Bible says that those are symptoms of the root issue. That the root issue is a thing called sin. Now what's sin? You know, in our world today, we don't talk a lot about sin. In fact, I read an interview recently where a preacher in a very large church said, I don't even, I don't think I've ever used the word sin in my, in my sermons because I don't want to talk about the negative stuff 
I, I would rather talk about the positive and how people can fix their lives. And let me just say, I love helping people fix their lives. And I love helping people on their journey to eternal life. We all love focusing on the positive. I told you already, I love my rose-colored glasses. I'm a natural optimist. But we cannot just play to that optimistic side of people and of ourselves. We have to get real. And that's the point that we just talked about. And to be real, we have to understand that according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, the root issue of all the problems in the world is sin and the separation from God that it brings. Romans 5.12, the passage that we're studying today, take a look at it. Through one man, it says, sin came into the world, and along with sin came death. Now let's talk about those two terms. Here's the big problem, because this is the only world that we've ever known. This world seems normal to us, doesn't it? It seems normal for us to be in a little bit of denial. Let me give you an illustration. I just heard this last week that uh, the new kids on the block, that music group, remember them from 14 years ago? That was the last time they were together. They're getting back together. And they're going to do a a new tour, the, the new kids on the block. Possibly not realizing that they're no longer the new kids on the block, I'm thinking. And I've noticed also that that they are not calling themselves the old farts on the couch. You see, even with issues like age, you know, until we get two nose hair trimmers for a gift, we're like, I'm not that old, right? Even though I've got hair going boldly where no hair has gone before. I'm not that old. It's easy to be in denial about everything, including our own sin. All right? And so that's why we have to confront this issue. In the Old Testament, God was very, very clear about what sin is. He gave 10 laws, the commandments, and he said, you know what? Here's what you got to do. Follow these, and you will be living according to my will. Don't follow them, and you will be challenging me. You will be rebelling against me. You will be breaking my will. Here they are. Here's the ten laws. You know what? That still serves as a fine definition for what sin is today. Sin is when we know God's will clearly as represented by the Ten Commandments, and we say, I don't want to do what God tells me to do. I don't want to put him above all other gods. I don't want to honor his name and his Sabbath day. I don't want to obey my parents. I don't want to not kill, not commit adultery. I don't want to not steal. I don't want to not covet, or gossip. I don't want to. Jesus simplified it, didn't he? He said, I can put God's will into two simple laws for you. 
Love the Lord your God above all things. With everything you got, love the Lord your God. Give him everything. Love him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's what God wants you to do. And your neighbor? That's the second one. Just love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Can you do that? And when you don't do that, you sin. You miss God's mark. What causes all of this trouble and suffering and pain in the world is simple. You and I are constantly missing those marks. We're constantly not doing what God has willed us to do. And Paul says it so plainly. When we sin, we bring death into the world. You know what death literally means? Death literally means separation from God. When we die, spiritually, we're separated from God. We're separated from his mind, the way he thinks, and so we're thinking differently from the way God thinks. We're separated spiritually from his blessings if we spiritually die, we don't believe in him. We cut ourselves off from his forgiveness. We cut ourselves off from his grace. We cut ourselves off from the eternal life that he wants to give us as a free gift. We cut ourselves off from his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us and rose again. When we spiritually die, we separate ourselves from all those spiritual blessings that God wants us to have. And we live in a world where that separation is all too common because our world believes that, well, sin has no connection to what God wants. Sin is whatever society determines that it should be. We're almost back to those societal issues. Someone shared an an article with me from USA Today. A sociologist, Barry Cosman, says, what's unacceptable has changed. Do you notice that? It's an ever-shifting moral environment if we don't have God in the picture. There's no solidity. Barry Cosman, the sociologist, says what's unacceptable has changed. Racism and sexual harassment, which were not sins in the past, are horrible sins now. Adultery and addiction, they're just sad or bad behavior, not sin. And commercial sex, that's a no. Spitzer, right? The governor, he learned that. But breaking the bonds of marriage, that's not a sin any longer not according to the ever-shifting morality of society. But the Bible says there's a non-shifting standard of morality, the will of God as expressed in the Ten Commandments and in what Jesus said in those two commandments. Those are solid, those are firm, those are sure, and they are to be obeyed. And when we don't obey it, when we don't follow God's will, that's what sin is, and that's what separates us from God and his blessings. So here's the second issue that I really want us to to realize. God says the real problem in the world is separation from him. I want you to think about how that can start on just such a small level when you look at what Jesus said, right? Because he defined sin when he gave us those two commandments. 
But he also in many places qualified sin, didn't he? You, you know what he said. He said it, it's not just an action. You don't have to kill somebody to commit murder. An angry word, calling someone a fool, hating someone in your mind, you're breaking that command. You don't have to sleep with another woman, Jesus said, or another man to commit adultery. Just a lustful thought in your mind about that other person. The Bible goes on to say impure language and filthy jokes. Those are breaking the commandments of God. Jesus qualified sin as thoughts and words and actions. Now, you and I, we say, ah, we're just deviating a little bit. But I want you to think about, and you've heard this before, a line that's parallel but not quite parallel. Just a little bit. It starts out pretty close to the other line, doesn't it? But as they track, even if it's off just a little bit, what happens to the separation? It grows and grows and grows. And one day you wake up and you realize, where did God go? And it wasn't that God left you. It was that you left God bit by bit by bit. The real problem in our world is separation from God. Now, here's our final point. One of the most insidious things that happens when we minimize sin that we don't even realize that we're doing. Anytime you minimize a problem, you know what you also do? You minimize its solution, right? You ever done that? Ah, oh, this is just a little problem. It's not going to take much to solve. And then you start to drill down and dig into that problem and realize that you have to fix the thing that fixes the thing. And then you start to grab that thing and then you realize, oh, I got to go get the tool to fix the thing that fixes the thing. Ever had that happen? Many times that's happened to me and you think, oh, this is just a little problem. And then you realize that you're spending not just an hour on it, not just a day on it, but this little problem is taking you days and days to solve. You minimize the problem, you minimize the solution. We minimize the problem of sin. We're also minimizing the size of God's love, which is the solution to sin. You see, if we live in a big sin world, think about it then we live in a world where God's love is amazing and huge. It is truly grace. It's shocking how big God's love is for us. That he would solve it by sending his one and only son. Who would do that? Even Paul says in the same book of Romans, you know, someone might possibly die for a good man. But for someone that's rebelled and rejected him, who would even think of doing that? And you know what his answer is? Shockingly, God. Because that's what he's done for us. By sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Big sin demands big love. And that's just exactly what God has. Big separation from God. 
demands a big bridge, a powerful bridge, a tough bridge to build. And Jesus paid the highest price to build that bridge and bring us back together and reconcile us to God again. That's how big God's love is. This week, to illustrate how big God's love is, I got an email that just, I'm not going to even preach anymore because this email tells you the story. What an awesome, awesome story about the big problem of sin and the even bigger solution of God's grace and love. This um, email comes from a person named Terry Schultz, who is a missionary serving in Peru. This is a guy that, to reach people with the gospel, literally goes out into the jungles of the Amazon. Part of the, the email, which I won't share with you, is saying that uh, he and, and several guys, uh, some of whom are, are buddies of mine, Bill Kessel and Adi Harstead, were going to get on an airplane and go out into the jungle, and the weather was so bad and things were so rough out there that they, they decided, you know what, we can't even make this flight. And so they had to cancel the flight, and the guys had to fly back to America. It was the whole reason they had gone down to Peru. Okay, that's how it can be. It is not easy to spread the gospel. But Terry's wife is named Mary. And in this email, she describes a ministry that she has. Let me read it for you. As you are aware, Mary, who's Terry's wife, has been volunteering full-time for a year and a half at Peru's infamous Santa Monica Women's Prison. Mary works with 63 English-speaking foreign women. These are women who don't, they're not natives to Peru. And she's counseling them and giving them Bible classes. They're all doing several years' time for drug trafficking in Peru. Over a year ago, Mary met a new inmate, a young black South African woman named Sharon. Back in South Africa, Sharon had broken up with a really bad boyfriend and wanted a quick infusion of cash in order to get her own apartment and pay off a stack of bills. She had a little six-year-old boy named Tinashe from a broken marriage. She had to support him. Sharon was caught in the Lima airport with several kilos and sentenced to seven years and three months. Big problems demand big solutions. Sharon had been an orphan since an early age. She knew only one relative plus her foster mother. Sharon had been baptized when she was a child, but then she lost her spiritual way. At Santa Monica Prison, she soon became a dear friend of Mary's. Sharon always came to the weekly Bible classes, and she often had long talks with Mary afterwards. I met Sharon myself when Mary got me into the prison around Christmas to do a special church service. Sharon came up afterwards, and we had an intense heart-to-heart conversation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, once again, Sharon had opened her heart to Jesus. Big problems need big solutions. Sharon would need all the strength the Lord had given her when she faced the worst nightmare a mother could ever imagine, let alone a mother living in prison thousands of miles from her only child. The South African embassy official who met Mary at Santa Monica one day simply couldn't face the task and asked Mary to deliver the news to Sharon, her little boy, Tanache, the little boy to whom she wrote a letter every week, had died in South Africa. Sharon lost her will to live after that. Big sin and big death requires big love. About three months later, Sharon appeared to be very sick. 
and began to slowly yet consistently lose weight. Sharon was suffering from both tuberculosis and AIDS. The prison clinic transferred Sharon to the grittiest public hospital in Lima, a facility used by the poor, the indigent, those who cannot pay. Sharon lay handcuffed to a paint-chipped, antiquated, rusty bed, alone except for an impassive 24-hour prison guard sitting only a couple feet away from her hospital bed. Now, you may be wondering why this story contains so much dismal, gut-wrenching detail. The reason is simple. We will now see the extraordinary, spirit-transformed final chapter of Sharon's life, which she herself described in a letter that she dictated to Mary. The letter was written to Sharon's fellow inmates at Santa Monica Prison. In fact, Sharon wanted the letter to be heard by as many people as who would listen. That's why I'm sharing it with you today. And I think it truly illustrates God's big love. What becomes spectacularly obvious, Terry writes, is that the Lord had entered Sharon's life and taken away all the hurt in her shattered heart. Mary and two friends spent all Friday afternoon at Sharon's bedside talking with her, brushing her wild hair back, giving her juice boxes, and wiping her sweating forehead. Gasping for breath, Sharon dictated a letter to Mary. Sharon put such extra emphasis on certain key words that Mary capitalized them in the letter. Mary and two friends thought Sharon would only survive another week or two. By now, Sharon was frail, pale, and skinny. Saturday morning, I was up early, Bible in my bag, keys in my hand. I was ready to visit Sharon when Mary answered the phone. Sharon had died in the early morning hours. What would you say? What would you say if you had one last letter to write before you died? Well, I'm going to read to you now the letter that Sharon wrote and dictated to Mary before she died. Here's what it is. I want to tell them life is too short. Look after yourselves and treasure your life and live right. Stop being selfish. Put God first. Even though I have this disease and I will die, I am not afraid. I am going to a far better place, and I have peace, capital letters. They need to know I have peace because it is time for God to carry me home. I accept it and understand. There is a light for me to follow home to heaven. I am not afraid. I have him to help me home. He is Jesus. When are you all going to realize that you need him too? When are you going to get right with him? Please stop being selfish. What is important to know is what is right in front of them in God's word. It's all you need. Open it, read it, and pray. Pray to him on your knees. Pray to him and tell him you want him in your life. It's not too late. It was not too late for me, and it is not too late for you. I thank my friends and family for the love they've showed me. I thank God for sending me Mary, Jana, and Sally. I thank God for those in Santa Monica prison who were there for me, who loved me for me. You know who they are. I love you and pray for you. I have him back in my heart. I recommitted myself to him when I heard the message brought to us at Christmas. You see, that's what the message does, isn't it? It gives us the Holy Spirit, and we believe. And that's what happened to Sharon. I thank God he sent Terry to me to preach to me. 
And because of that, I had God rescue me. This disease, HIV, is hard, very hard, but I accept it. Why, you ask? Because I am ready to go to him and to be held in his arms. I know they are open wide for me, and they can be for you too. And he will be ready to hold you like he soon will hold me. Make sure you know. God did not give me this disease. I don't blame God. So you have no right to blame him yourself. I accept it. I'm ready. Please keep fighting for good things and fighting to keep God in your life. Remember, here's our last line. The good thing in life is God. And I love him. And so should you. Paul said it too. Romans 5.17. Big sin. Big separation from God. Big problems require big love. Paul wrote it this way. If by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want you to leave here today knowing that because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for Sharon and for you, life with God is a past reality. It's already done. You now are God's child through Christ. It's a present possibility. You can have the power of God to work with every day in your life if you want it. And a future certainty. Did you hear what Sharon said? I'm going to heaven. Even if this disease kills me. I'm going to heaven. It's a future certainty. It was for her and it is for you. You know what Paul's saying? Finally. Yes, this world is a mess. But I want you to never stop dreaming. Just like Sharon was dreaming. I want you to always have this vision in your mind, this dream. Dream with me, Paul says, of a world where we are all one with God. And that's our final point. And I hope you go out of here with that dream intact this morning. Dreaming of a world where you are one with God because that big problem of sin has been solved by God's big grace. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Face brutal reality. Life is difficult, but you fully understand why now. Dream big, just like Sharon did, despite her AIDS. Dream big. What Christ has done for us crafts our new reality. And take a moment this week to uh, write Romans 5.17 somewhere down on a card or a sticky note or somewhere and memorize it and meditate on it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that despite this huge, huge, everywhere problem of sin that's in our world, you sent your son Jesus and your love is that big that no matter how big the problem of sin grows in my own heart and mind or in the world around me, your solution is still intact. Your love is still there for me. Lord, help me to dream big knowing that love. And to dream of living my life every day in step with you, one with you. And Lord, help me to dream as Sharon did of a life that goes beyond this life, an eternal life where I will be 
forever one with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.